Welcome and thank you for tuning into Organ and the podcast of Ology Research Group, exploring contemporary social issues via data insights and change. According to a blog found on RE Factor Tactical, a company founded by veterans which sells tactical products and provides special operations with solutions for unconventional battlefield issues, violence can and has historically been the answer to major conflicts. In their blog, they state, Those who say violence is never the answer most likely never stared death in the face or encountered some of the greatest evil that plagues our society. In reality, violence often solves some of life's greatest issues. Thinking back to our world wars, revolutions, and the current conflict in Venezuela, they may actually be right. On today's episode, we all have a conversation about pacifism and violence and their respective effectiveness in resolving escalated social conflict. We invite you to join our table. Let's discuss. Joining us from, not New York City this time, from sunny South Florida, we have myself, Carl. And Jasmine. And recording from Los Angeles, (laughs) we have... Hey there, Casey. And Courtney. And we never decided, but Casey, do you want to take it? Um, yeah, sure. Is violence bad? Gang, what do you think? <laughs> violence is inevitable. It's bound to happen. Yeah, okay. So that's a yes for Jasmine. What about you, Courtney? I feel like the intimidation part of it is necessary. But I don't know if violence is a necessary part of it, but I think it's the feeling of negative repercussions forces people to do different things. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Uh, Carl? Mm-hmm. I, I think over time, the word violence has had kind of like a an inflated connotation, like a negative connotation, just like some other words in our vocabulary. So when we think of violence, we think of like an aggressor that's doing things um, or, or that's like disproportionately committing acts of violence on innocent people but you know in reality when innocent people fight back against the aggressor that's also use of violence too so i think it's kind of like we we need another word to describe what it means when um somebody you know defends themselves and stands up against people who commit acts of violence using violence instead of using pacifism which wouldn't work in a lot of cases Mm. Um, I'm gonna be the contrarian since uh, just since you never do that anyway. <laughs> no, I'm totally in with the uh, on what's the thing, rocking with the boat. No, don't make, don't rock the boat. Uh, I think violence is not necessary. Um, because the greatest teachers on earth who've ever lived on earth have always articulated a pacifist perspective jesus the buddha um gandhi well yeah gandhi and um no wait who said uh sorry the monk the famous monk uh the dalai lama Mm -hmm. you know so i if, if they're saying something about the fact that we don't need to get violent I think there's something truth about it. So that's why I think it's not necessary. 
I know. I'll leave you guys speechless with my answers. It's okay. <laughs> you just made me, like, you just made me think about like it's the a very philosophical <laughs> response. You just made me think of like the American Revolution, for example. Like, you know, if instead people were would just make giant like signs saying, "Please, let's converse. Let's have a conversation about this." You know what what actually would have happened? You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I would tell exactly what happened. We would be like Canada. They didn't have a revolution. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Oh, you didn't see that coming, did you? I thought <laughs> well, about I think that it's <laughs> you have to build a culture around it because, like, what you're saying, Casey, I think is great in theory, but at the same time, you're expecting everyone to follow that. So, from a reality standpoint, I don't know if that's necessarily feasible because I would say people naturally go towards what's easiest. And I would say intimidation is easiest. I wouldn't say it's the best option. But if we were to go with your route, how would you implement it? Like, how would you actually do it? Mm -hmm. And even in the case of Venezuela, like now you have this tyrannical government that has been oppressing people for a long time. And now they're moving beyond just, you know, peaceful protests. And now the people are taking action and actually, you know, revolting against their government because they have witnessed that what's happening is unfair and that violence is probably the next step in order to take their country back um okay so man i i really sympathize with the people in venezuela just like what happened in um uh in syria and just seeing just the aftermath destruction um I think uh, I think something we're not answering with with violence is what is your ultimate aim in the conflict, right? Because we're really talking about conflict. Um, and what is your ultimate purpose? If your long term goal is create a stable environment where you know, your kids can grow up and and not feel threatened or scared, I just don't think intimidating the government with violence is a means for doing it but i also think like the dalai lama he 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 uh he advocates for the middle way which is a very core principle of buddhism um which is the idea that you know like you 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 actually I, i'm not buddhist so i'm gonna totally blast this up but this is my like very ignorant understanding but it's this idea that you you walk the middle path. You don't respond with violence. You you do the best version of you. Um, and because of his middle way, you know, we know about Buddhism. We know about the, the Tibetan culture. And, like, their culture lasts longer than they'd ever consumed. I mean, before the whole Dalai Lama incident, Tibet was an isolationist country. Like, no one knew about them. And now there's so much culture and understanding about them. So... On the short terms, it does look like they're going to lose their lives. It does look like they're going to, you know, lose everything. But when you engage in a conflict, it's going to look like two little kids fighting. It's hard to empathize with, with the group. I don't want to ramble more. But what, what are your thoughts? I think you do have to breed it when they're young or like instill it when they're young, but I think it's going to be a process unless there's like some big shift that happens. Like all of a sudden people that have that mentality, they become the majority. Mm -hmm. Like I was reading this book recently and they're saying like why 
maybe the economy of things have become more selfish or whatever. And they said a certain factor was that usually there's checks and balances, but with the surge of like the baby boomers, it automatically threw that off. So I'm thinking if you need a dramatic change that you want to happen fairly quickly, you need something to tip the balance like greatly. And I don't know if convincing people is necessarily it. Maybe you just need to make more babies, Casey. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, Jasmine and Carl are already ahead with one. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I think teaching underlying principles of of peace is great. But I, I think, like, I don't know. Like, I think you should have, like, an olive branch in one hand and a sword in the other. You know what I mean? But you have the olive branch ahead of it. And you should always exercise peace by default. But not everybody... I'm going to forget the quote was it. Speak softly, but carry a big stick. There you go. Because, you know, you never never know. If, if If we teach a generation of kids nothing but pacifism... If somebody like invades the country, we're like totally screwed because the, you did not equip this generation with the skills that they need to stand up for themselves and to defend themselves. And some people, with some people, you could say, Hey, let's negotiate. Let's talk about it. Let's get a mediator. And then that would work. But in other, in, uh, in some instances, you can't. And that, that person or that group of people, that country would not be willing to negotiate at all. So you have to be able to respond in either peaceful ways, um, diplomatic ways. But when you have to, you have to be ready to stand up for yourself. Well, okay. Two points I would counter that. Uh, like one of my example, like my observant, another one is a global example. The first is Jasmine Carl. You can totally relate. Remember when we were we were in you know young innocent kids in grad school and we were learning about mediation. Mm -hmm. conflict resolution Mm -hmm. and remember that the mediation class that we took with dr sweedler and how we were practicing empathetic listening and at first we're all like you feel upset you know like Mm -hmm. we were really bad at it yeah because like it was the first time learning like how to listen to other people talking help me understand (laughs) why you're such a dick Well, I would also note um, that it's important for mediations to even work that both parties want to come to a resolution. And that's important because mediation is not going to work if it's just one person does not want to come to a resolution or what we would call like restorative justice. So if it's not going to work, a mediation is not going to work because the beauty of mediation is that both parties involved have the power to come um, forth and agree on an agreement and on how they want the relationship to move forward. So that's one of the most important pieces of mediation. And then, yes, you want to be reflective listening and you want to be like, you know, by by you, um, you know, not opening the door for me, you make me feel as I am not validated by you anymore or something like that i don't know but you know you, you want to use like that kind of language versus saying like you're not opening the door for me anymore this upsets me i'm so angry no. that's not gonna work so those, i mean sweeter's class was really important because it taught us about how to like tone down our triggers because we get triggered easily and so mm. so do the people like in venezuela like they're triggered and they're annoyed and you know they're figuring out like uh, they've done 
whatever they could. And so now they're like, what do I need to do now? Because there is, like, it's above them. Like, to come to a resolution, it's above them with the people and the politics and all the the stuff that's going down there. Um, but now it's like a, it's, it's a national problem because multiple countries in Latin America are now working on a mediation or an agreement on how are they going to support all these, you know, all these um, refugees that are coming into their country and crime that's, um, you know, increasing in, in these cities. Mm-hmm. And okay. that's the olive branch part. But then the sword part is that they're also helping the people to to revolt against the government and to take them down because they're not willing to negotiate. So I think it also depends on who the aggressor is. Yeah. Well, let's do two things. Like the thing is, what going back to that lewd point and what uh, Jackson was saying is, when you don't know how to resolve a conflict, it still look awkward. But once but once you get mastery of it and once you do it more and more. You don't need the other person to be consent. You can teach them how to do it. Like even today, with like with a lot of the partners I have conflict with, I know they don't know conflict resolution, but I do know like how to talk to them in a way to understand, you know what you know what is it that annoys me. And I think right now people, we just need to train people to be better at uh, framing their narrative. But another thing that uh, that um, I thought about what you're saying, Carl, about these conflicts is there are multiple parties involved that we may not know or aware of mm-hmm. that are influence uh, that are benefiting from Venezuela destabilizing, or that or that are indirectly controlling this. I mean, going back to the American Revolution, there uh, I remember reading somewhere, but the, the the historian made a really good case, and he was saying how. The reason why we revolted against the British teas was not because of taxes, but really it was because the British government was um, was uh, trying to monopolize the money market, the capitalism, and the capitalists in America didn't want to to be uh, beholden to them. So that's why they revolted and started this idea of oh, we can rule ourselves. But really, it was cap- it was fueled by the desire to greed, mm-hmm. to make more money. To be self-sustaining control, so like those things we don't really are taught, but those factors do influence the way conflicts are persisting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, conflicts are very complex, but I mean, there's it's it's inevitable. I think the most important step is how the leadership, like globally, is going to deal with these, um, you know, the country conflicts that are happening and what's going on when to step in and when not to step in mm-hmm. or how to even support the people so mm-hmm. that they can move on and their country can you know become because venezuela is a very rich country they have petroleum they have everything they have all the different climates mm-hmm. um it's, it's it was back then one of the wealthiest latin american countries mm-hmm. wow really yeah yeah but the government controls the oil they control the ports. They control everything. Similar to how the British, like you said, Casey, were wanting to control like the economy, too. Well, actually, can I, can I ask you guys a question? I get this back to capitalism because Venezuela was supposedly a socialist country, right? Supposedly, because the government control. Supposedly, was Venezuela a socialist country, or is it? Dem- yeah, they were inspired by um, like Cuba, one mm-hmm. of the Cuban leaders. So, like. Why didn't it work? It, it I mean, the, the whole tenet of 
the socialist countries like to pick up society to government, you know, take care of the, the local community. You get limited milk once a month, you get limited toilet paper, limited shampoo, everybody gets the same and it doesn't work out that way. There's no open market. Mm-hmm. In theory, like socialism works, but you know what? And then also, you're relying on a on, on on one solely provider, right? And then when that person decides that they no longer want to provide or can't provide, then the country is going to be like, "What the hell?" You know what I mean? Mm. So I think in the case of Venezuela, what it is is that, like, yeah, it's a let's it's a socialist nation, right? Let's say. Let's let's say that, you know, most people get like a living stipend or they get like a ration for food and stuff like that. But, you know, the, the government still does hold like all the money. And then you have people in power in Venezuela that, you know, buy property in Florida and they take their riches outside of Venezuela. So it's kind of like one of those things where it's not it's not equally distributed wealth across everybody. Um, it's it's uh, lopsided. Well then, and they also receive like, foreign have- money from from the U.S. for support, but that money doesn't. That money, the thing is, like, where does that money go? Like, there's not transparency there for foreign aid. So it's multi-layered. It's a. It's yeah. It's a very yeah. multi-layered. Um, I think in order for for a socialist nation to work, it has to be fully transparent with its people. Okay, well, would you say our system is working? Or, you mean, like, do you think a capitalist system is better? See, but, you know, I've, I've always said this since my first day as a business student in 2005. Capitalism is not a form of government. And we compare it to socialism and other forms of government, but it's not. I think it's like, I think capitalism is is a system that operates above a political system. It's not a political system. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, guess what our thing is semantics. But uh, guess what, maybe a better word is a capitalist-inspired government. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, I think... I think that if, if, if it were, and if it were fair, that it would be best. Because I, I think that that's one where, um, like, let's say, let's just say hypothetically speaking, all of us, um, populate Mars, right? There's no existing economy on Mars right now, obviously. Nobody lives there right now. And let's say that the amount of money that you earn is contingent upon is contingent upon how much effort you put forward and how many risks you take in, on Mars. That would be like a purely capitalism-inspired government. So we don't have that here because there's people at the top tier of civilization that don't put any effort, but they still reap like a lot of benefits. So it's very like lopsided. And then you have like the working class who are you know, taken advantage of for being the bulk of the population tax wise. And then from there you have, um, the middle class benefits the people up at the top and it benefits the people down at the bottom. But it's why we always hear of like the middle class not being very well cared for. 
So if it were like a pure, purely designed or inspired capitalist system where you would you would reap what you sow, I think it would be fairest. Yeah, Sierra totally agrees. Capitalism bad, right, Sierra? Um, <laughs> I okay, but actually, the nature of capitalism is is acting in itself. I mean, this, capitalism is about all, all about market trade and winners and losers, right? Mm-hmm. So, so wouldn't that be the case? I mean, this is fair. Maybe that's why, like, like. Because there are, there are going to be winners, there are going to be losers. That's a whole point of capitalism. It's fair is not mean equal for everyone. Fair is the ability to pursue whatever your uh, your your capitalistic intentions is. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think, Courtney? I, th- I think I'm, I'm not like spinning circles. Well, I think everything comes with. I don't know if there's going to be one philosophy that's best or whatever. It's just the only one we have to react to. So, at the huh. same time, I think the capitalist society overall, maybe it's just because I benefit from it personally, um, but that could also be coming from a place of privilege to a certain degree, because I, like my dad always said, hey, we're giving you a head start, don't waste it. So, I think, mm-hmm. I don't really know the answer to it, because I think it's something that I've been trying to figure out, like, how do you make it more even? Like, you don't really want to bring yourself down. Like, it doesn't make sense to give away all your money if they don't have, like, the skill sets to do anything with it just because they weren't given the opportunity. But it also doesn't make sense to, like, like, it's an odd balance. You can't just donate all of your money to be nice and hope it thrives within the environment. There's, like, a systematic change that needs to happen. I don't know. Just in general. Mm-hmm. Systematic change. There you go. That's the solution here, everybody. <laughs> I am. Yep. All right. Well, we're at the 22 minute mark in the episode. Do you all want to move on to the bottom line? Yes. Uh huh. Okay. So then, do we want to just uh, round robin and ask one bottom line question? Keep it short. Yeah. All right. You want to start, Jasmine? Mm-hmm. Birthday girl. <laughs> Um, I would just say if you could, you know, give words of wisdom to the Venezuelan people, what would your words of wisdom be? You have to pick somebody. I'm looking at the everybody's face right now. Um, <laughs> I'll pick Courtney. Words of wisdom. I don't know. Be safe. Be local. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard when you're one against the majority because then mob mentality takes into effect. So I would just say be you, be safe, and be heard, I guess. Very true. Advocate. <laughs> and what about you, Carl? I would just say, um, along the lines of what Courtney said, just be safe. Keep in mind, um, you know, your family and your loved ones and what's best for them, whether it's leaving the country or standing up and fighting, if you feel that that's what you need to do. But standing idle, idly in these, in these kinds of situations puts you in a very vulnerable spot. So 
you know, just uh, be cautious. Okay, that was my and turn. And Casey? Yay. Okay, so I'm going to go very circuitous route. I think you need to know your why. So if you need to protect your family, then you figure ways to be safe. That's the most important. But if you really, really believe in your cause and you really want to make a change, I think at times to be nonviolent or, or, or um, you know, the greatest inspirational peace people, leaders, they come from conflict. You know, they, they derive from, from, from violence, you know, our, our forefathers, they, they, they rise to the occasion. Um, Gandhi and um, MLK and all these great leaders that we think about, they, they came about because doing a violent conflict, you know, like violence in the sense of social violence and, and, um, and political violence, but you know, we all have the opportunity to be that great to to rise to the occasion. So, if you really, really believe in changing your country, you know, figure out ways to be like that too. And maybe violence is one solution, but there are other reasons. Uh, there are solutions and inspirations you can motivate people. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for that response. Okay, who wants to ask the next round of questions? Jasmine didn't answer hers. I would say to the Venezuelan people that it's important to remember that you're loved and that you're um, you're important. And one of the most you know things about being in a situation like this is that your family is the most important. So really, taking care of yourself and your family is like number one. Um, And in that. In that capacity is like if you have to do what you need to do for your family, like that's that takes priority because you know your family is that's what you're you're thriving to do. And if you need to to choose your battles or not choose your battles, always think about family. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's my response. Who wants to ask the next the next round? Me. Okay, I will. Okay, Casey, go. Do you think there will ever be an end to violence? No. No. <laughs> Courtney? I don't think so either. We watch it <laughs> as a game. No, no, oh no. My gosh. <laughs> Casey, what do you I think? I think there will be. Because uh, because conflict has not... has. You know, it, um, we learn to figure out to fight better now with each passing decades than we did the prior years. I mean, we're not dropping mustard bomb gas on our on people. Well, actually, Syrian conflict did that. Um, never mind. But I still believe we can solve a conflict. Mm-hmm. When. Okay. Cool. So I'll go. Um, I just came up with this quote in my head. You tell me what you think it means to you. Fighting is for animals and battles are for men. Ooh. Jasmine? Wow. Mm. Well, we are mammals, so we are animals. <laughs> and I would say that because of that instinct, there's things that 
again, they trigger us. And so many of us, especially because we're mammals, we also are very intelligent as humans. And we can use our power, like our, our superpower, which is our brains, to really decide on how we're going to deal with a situation, which takes a lot of emotional intelligence. Thinking about how you're going to deal with certain things. Um, most people would just get upset and then yes the animal instinct takes over and you know they're gonna be like whoa don't talk to that lady she's she's a crazy lady over there um and then they stereotype you for whatever but then if you don't do anything then it's like oh she's just you know so naive and doesn't know anything people are not doing that so you kind of have to find your middle ground and think about how can you be both but also do it with grace Mm -hmm. casey um, can you say the quote one more time? Fighting is for animals and battles are for men. Okay, so how I see it is when animals fight, they don't fight for power. They fight for safety and security, right? It's a fight or flight response. The adults in this case are when people, when, when it's like humans, when we fight, we don't fight for security. There are more than one reason we fight. We fight for power or control. So, uh, so I would say I would, I would support violence if you're protecting yourself and your family, but I would not support violence if you're fighting for power or control. And that's what distinguishes them from animals and humans. <laughs> Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Courtney? Sorry, I missed the question. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think this quote means to you? Fighting is for animals and battles are for men. Um, I think it's the same thing. It's just a different word. Great. My <laughs> open to interpretation, right? My answer is along the lines of uh, of of Casey. Violence does have, you know, you could justify violent acts if you're like protecting yourself or if you're defending or whatever. But if it's for power, then it's for greed, and then it's not okay. All right. Yeah. Who's asking Lots the next? Deep thoughts. The next question. Casey, uh, I mean, yeah, oh, it's Courtney. Go ahead. You're last. Oh. Um, I would say, uh, if we're all thinking this is like a big change that needs to happen within the next generation, how do you plan on approaching it with your own immediate family next generation? So I guess I could start with the Letchmendies because you do have a next generation person <laughs> within your household already. So the the question is about like how we're gonna approach this concept of like pacifism and fighting with baby Rose. I want to yep. teach her how to fight <laughs> because I you know like bullying is inevitable whether it's like cyber bullying or text bullying it's or self defense whatever. Yeah, like I want to teach her how to fight so that she can defend herself when when she needs to and and not be like, you know, like push over or picked on because kids that have like low self-esteem and that decide to be bullies and get thrills out of picking on someone smaller or perceivably um, inferior in whatever social setting, they're going to continue to do it. So you can't talk 
somebody out of bullying someone else if they're getting some sort of pleasure from it. So I need to make sure that she knows uh, how to like box. I want to teach her how to do that, like how to wrestle, basic takedown maneuvers, things like that. But there, the condition is going to be that you're not to use any of these techniques unless you have to and you feel like you're, you're um, going to be hurt by somebody else. I would say, yeah, echoing what Carl said, but in addition to that, also to use, um, you know, her, her ability to, to speak her mind and to make sure that she's heard and what and how she feels and different things. Because a lot of us were, you know, we're told like, no, you just do what you're said, you know, what you're told and that's it. But sometimes it's like, like, for example, You'll go to grandma's house and then grandma wants to keep feeding you and feeding you certain soup or something. And you're like, I'm full. And then grandma's like, no, you keep eating, you keep eating. And then you're like, but I'm full. And they don't understand the concept. And then it's like, so you're going to make, you know, somebody eat soup. And then eventually it's going to throw up the soup because they were not heard. And so I think it's going to be important not to just say that I'm full, but then to just say, you know, I'm full um, and it'll, you know, it'll hurt me to eat more soup because this will happen. I will, I will probably throw up the soup and I don't want that to happen. So using those, um, you know, reflective listening skills at a young age, I think will be very helpful for her because it, it shows a picture instead of just saying like, I don't want this. Instead, now you can say like, this is why I don't want this. But you have to, because people always want to know the why. Nothing. So I expect baby Rose to tell your your mom no in two months. Yes, <laughs> like Google, I do not want that soup no right? more. She would I- just be like, like making a little face like that and <laughs> grandma, pushing it away with her hands. Grandma, you're gonna give me acid reflux. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um. Wow, I like how to teach the next generation. I think I would teach empathy. I think that's what we're missing. Like, I would teach them how to be empathetic and how to find empathy from others, even when the ones who were looking for empathy don't deserve it. Um, because, um, like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna institute violence or even say that, oh, Carrie, you know, have violence in the background, the possibility of violence being there, takes away decision, any other decision that you might have about resolving an issue. You know, like, um, not to, um, what, what Carl was saying about teaching karate, uh, about bullying, and my first thought was, karate does not teach you, prevent you from bullying, but it does teach you confidence and, like, knowing who you are and who you are for yourself. Mm-hmm. And there are other ways to teach kids that kind of confidence, because, the, the kids who bully, they don't bully every single person. They pick for the weakest person in the group because they themselves are weak and they themselves have been bullied in other contexts. So to to overcome that, you, you just uh, – it's like an easy to – but it's to overcome that, the idea is to understand where they're coming from and have that confidence yourself. And karate is like one way, but I would find other methods that are um, where violence is not the go-to option. Or even the first alternative. Like, I will use violence as option C. After option A, B, and C. I mean, A, A, B. So that would be my solution. 
Mm-hmm. What about you, Courtney? What's your answer? Um, I think I would do the same as Carl and teach my kid to first take care of him or herself. <laughs> and then once you're able to establish that self-confidence and authority, I think it makes it a lot easier to approach with a mediating mind because you have more control and you have that value within yourself versus if you decided to go that route and you didn't, let's say, have the ability to defend yourself or take care of yourself, it automatically makes your, I would say, it makes your opinion invalid to people who are approaching you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, that's been an interesting conversation. And now we'd like to turn to our listeners. What do you think? Are there any ideas for what you'd like to hear on the show? Make sure to drop us a line at infoologybesearchgroup.org and also check out our website to learn about our awesome services. If you're interested in donating to Ology, we are an IRS 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all donations are tax deductible. Until next time.